When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. It has been a very exciting week here at TFL Truck because of an all-new all-electric pickup. That's right, yeah, so we had a chance to spend a week with the first commercially available electric EV truck on the market, the Rivian R1T. Yep, so on this episode of TFL Talking Trucks, uh, Tommy and I want to dig down and um, tell you guys everything about what it's like to actually live with a Rivian R1T for a few days, and we've put it to the test. We absolutely did, yes. We are going to talk about the pros, the cons, um, talk about the truck itself, what the build quality is like, the features, the gadgets, the gizmos, all of it. And hopefully by the end of this podcast, you'll have a good idea of what the Rivian is all about. Yeah, because we also have charged it. We're taking it off-road. You already drag raced it, right? Uh, And uh, we have something else special coming up very, very soon on TFL Truck, which is an Ike Gauntlet. Absolutely, very true. So let's get right to it now. First of all, we have a couple of ways to listen to the podcast. If you are watching on YouTube, I do apologize for my weird hat. What's up with your hat? I'm not going full hipster on you, Andre, but it's like (laughs) five degrees outside and it's just an ice field in Boulder, Colorado today. If you're watching this on YouTube and not listening to us directly on Apple Podcasts or other podcast uh, platforms, I have a warm uh, cup of coffee. Because I am also warming up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, Andre spent all day off-road in the Rivian today yeah, as well. Yeah, because we wanted to take it in the snow, um, in the ice. We did that. Um, and also, I want to take this moment to thank our Patreon supporters before we dig further. Uh, Patreon.com slash TFLcar. You guys continue to support us every single day. We have Dave Hershey uh, with a big donation. And uh, Matthew Elaine. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. Um, and Daniel... Uh, I'm okay. sorry if I mispronounced that. I but a huge thank you to the Patreon supporters. So if you notice, our podcasts are not riddled with ads, and that is in part because of our Patreon folks. So be sure to check out our Patreon page if you want to help out the team and help keep independent and honest reviews flowing. Yes. So let's dig into it. So uh, Rivian actually dropped off the uh, pickup truck, the R1T, uh, with us, and they brought you know one of their original engineers, uh, so we were able to ask a lot of questions and kind of get to know the vehicle. And then we took it on a, what, a multi-day and hundreds of mile test. Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, big thank you to Brian who came out here. It was really great to meet you. He was employee number four at, um, I think he was four or was he eight? Four. He's at four. Four. At, Which is a big deal. Yeah, at Rivian, even before it was called Rivian, yeah. when they were located in Florida, which was very cool. Yeah, and also, of course, um, uh, the, the PR people and also the team and the, and the Shaheen. So thank you. Thank you very much. And also, we learned a lot about it, but then uh, we quickly sprung into action. <laughs> uh, first of all, the truck by itself just uh, kind of looks impressive. I mean, it looks very... Uh, this is an earlier build. Actually, the truck belongs to Chad, one of the employees at Rivian. So what happened was they had a specific marketing PR truck, which mm-hmm. they had shipped out to Denver. Yes. And then they were backing it off the delivery truck. Yes. And the driver apparently had an accident with it. Right. Uh, the delivery driver, I'm assuming, uh, hit the front end of that vehicle. But this was such a cool thing. Day of, they scrambled. They had an employee at the center in Denver who's like, yeah, they can take my truck. So big thank you to not only Rivian, but to Chad for making this happen because uh, without him, none of this would be possible because of that incident with the, the marketing truck. So very cool stuff. It's also cool, though, because we know that this vehicle was not, you know, tampered with ahead of time. It wasn't right. like... It was a last-minute kind of stand Yeah, but it wasn't like tweaked for 
for the media or like improve. This just happened to be um, the customer's truck. And keep in mind, the first customers of these Rivians have been employees. Yeah. So uh, it, it's a it's a cool thing that we got our hands on one whatsoever. Exactly. And uh, this is a launch edition. It's kind of a dark gray exterior color, um, and it's kind of a dark interior as well. Um, and I think what struck me at first is just kind of. It looks like a completely, you know, nice, high-quality vehicle. It's because it's a launch edition. It is a little bit pricey, right? Um, and it starts at about what what seventy-two, seventy-three, and the one we have here is about seventy-seven thousand. Uh, that's maybe two years ago that was a lot of money, but these <laughs> days seventy-seven grand, almost. And the 150 Lariat cost that much. Well, let's talk about the Lightning we just placed our order for. Yeah. How much was that trim that you, you spec'd? So we spec'd, uh, we actually pre-ordered uh, and ordered uh, a F-150 Lightning. We decided to go with a Lariat edition with an extended battery range. And because of that, uh, because we chose the Lariat, which is not the top level of the F-150 Lightning, and because we wanted a longer range battery and a couple of other features, uh, that was 80000 80, 80 grand. Yes. Now, if you look at the Rivian website, you've got two kind of basic build and configurations right away. There's the Explore Pack, which, according to the website, starts at 67.5, and then jump up to the Adventure Pack, starts at $73,000. And I think you're right, Andre. I mean, go back a few years ago and paying 73 grand for a truck would be unheard of. Yeah. But we're living in a time where Jeep Gladiators Cr- crazy can be time. Yeah. into the $60,000 range. We've got Tacomas well into the 50s, especially with dealer markups. And after dealer markups, we can touch 60 grand in some cases. I mean, this is an expensive time to be a truck consumer. We're even seeing trucks now hit the 100 grand plus mark. Exactly. And actually, cars are hitting up there as well, but especially pickup trucks, especially four-wheel drive vehicles. So what do you think of the size of the vehicle. And this is where things get a little bit murky because if you look at like the current trucks on the market and if you look at throughout history, you've always had like the quarter ton trucks, the half ton trucks, the three quarter, the one ton. And there's always been these nice little dainty segments where you could see what the vehicles compete with on a size Mm -hmm. uh, standpoint. But the Rivian kind of breaks those molds a little bit. It does. And so it's bigger than Tacoma for sure. So Tacoma represents the midsize segment, right? Uh, traditional midsize segment. You also have the Chevy Colorado, the Ford Ranger, um, and some others um, in that segment. Uh, the Rivian R1T is a little bit larger. It um, it only comes in one configuration as far as size. It's got a crew cab, four doors, about what a four foot seven inch approximately bed, right, and um, about a 135 inch wheelbase which does not make it a full-size truck, actually. It's a little bit smaller than an F-150. It's a little bit smaller than a Toyota Tundra, for example. So it's cuts, it cuts in the middle, and we asked the Rivian um, you know, engineers, how come? And so uh, the interesting answer that we got was that they wanted to build the cabin of this pickup for five people comfortably yeah. and then kind of keep the proportions of the truck not super long, so it would be good off-road, but as compact as possible. So this is what they ended up with. It's kind of an interesting idea, I think, right? Not base it based on the class, but base it based on the... Uh, Just the, kind of the use case. Yeah, I so if, if we... I'm on the Ford website right now because I want to kind of compare it to like an F-150. So if we yeah. look at the Super Crew, five and a half foot, um, and they still say style side. So you're looking at 231.7 inches in total length. The Rivian's about 217, yeah. right? But a Ranger is going to be smaller than that. It's going to be like... Somewhere around 210 inches. Yeah, somewhere in the neighborhood. Off yes, the top exactly. of my head, somewhere around there. Exactly. So it's cut, cuts between them. And yeah, you might say the bed is too short. But as we found out, you know, y- yes, part of the answer is yes. But also they have a unique tailgate that can extend that bed floor quite significantly. Yeah, it's a very cool idea. Yeah. So what we did to test the usability of the bed is we do this test where we bring trucks to our buddy David Morrow's. Uh, basically ranch. Yes. So he has a, a bunch of yaks up there, and he's got a fully... Happy yak. Happy yak ranch. He's got a yeah. fully functioning ranch, and this guy's incredible. Like, he's super talented. He's built uh, home after home by hand. He's got this giant wood cabin he built all by hand. He builds his own furniture, and just like one of trailers, these... Trailers. He builds trailers. Incredibly yeah. handy guys. 
But when it comes to his truck use, like every truck he owns as an eight-foot bed, I think he just happened to buy a parts truck, which had like a six and a half foot. That yeah. was like a big deal. But every yeah. truck he's owned, he's owned for a long time, he drives the beans out of, and they're all eight-foot beds. So when we showed up with this four and a half foot electric uh, vehicle. He what was, was he saying? He was actually pretty over the moon about it. He's okay. got a really open mind and he was really excited. Now, initially we were measuring the bed because we were going to do some stuff with it uh, to test out its payload capacity and we're like, ooh, four and a half feet. Not fantastic. But like Andre said, when you put the tailgate down, you get a full seven feet from the bulkhead to the edge of the tailgate. Okay. And it's a unique kind of a gooseneck hinge design. So it kind of extends the tailgate out. It's funky, right. yeah. So like yeah. on a typical tailgate, you just have a simple hinge mechanism on the uh, bed post, yeah. right? Little rotating yeah. thing, pops down. On the Rivian, you have a gooseneck hinge that kind of extends out by the bumper. So it's down low, it's on the horizontal plane, and it basically bows outward. Yes. So what that means is that the tailgate extends a huge amount compared to a traditional pickup. Now, some interesting things that David brought up, which... I do have to agree with, I'm a little bit concerned about, if you look at the design, right, there's this little flap that covers that big gap between the tailgate and the bed. Yeah. And then when you lift open the flap, which can easily happen, or if you're loading up uh, uh, logs like we were, bark got down or into hay the holes. Or yeah. Hay will get down into the holes there where the, the hinges are, uh, gravel. But the issue that we were finding is that the hinge is basically encased by what appeared to be like the bumper trim okay. or some kind of rear end trim. So, so it couldn't fall through. So it couldn't fall through. And David's okay. concern, I think this is a real concern, if you are using it even as like a hobby truck and you're loading stuff in year after year after year, stuff is going to get into this gap between the bed floor and the hinge. And we're worried it's going to build up and clog stuff up. Yeah, and maybe prevent the hinge from working eventually. Yeah. Uh, potentially. But, but still, nonetheless, um, that video from the ranch is coming. Um, so if, if it's not published already, it will be very soon uh, when you're listening to this and watching this. So I'm really excited because you guys carried almost the maximum payload, correct? Um, what, about 1,000 pounds, uh, 1,200 pounds? Higher. <laughs> 1,400 um, pounds? I think, Andre, it's fair to say officially we were at the maximum payload. Unofficially, you. May have been a little over. <laughs> okay. Did you break the scales? Well, we went out to the scales, and we've got these scales that we use for all the tests. And unfortunately, the scales were down that day. They weren't reading properly, so we couldn't get a, a fair, accurate representation. But David does this practically for a living, moving these logs when he's building homes well, and stuff. Yeah, and he's like, this This is a this is a lot of weight. Yeah, and um, we did a very similar test with the Ford Maverick, maybe with a little bit less weight, mm -hmm. right? Um, we've got to talk about capability because um, you might be wondering, is this a real pickup truck, right? So the capability stated by, by Rivian itself is maximum payload is about uh, 1,760 pounds, I believe, in that neighborhood. Um, our truck, this launch edition, uh, has a lower payload because it has some optional equipment, right? Yep. And it also has the adventure pack with um, all-terrain tires. Um, so the uh, payload sticker on our truck says, I, I believe, about 1,419 pounds, which is still comparable to a half ton. And I was talking to uh, Shaheen about this uh, last night because he was wondering where I was getting this number from. Because officially, the number they tout is the 1,764. But the sticker, which is, you know, the official In the door. government mandated yeah. sticker, right, is showing 1419. So I think what could be happening, and he's going to get some more clarification on this, is that when you load any vehicle up with options, right, that decreases the payload. Uh, that makes sense. Because your gross vehicle weight stays the same. Yeah. And you're adding more options to it, and so you're decreasing the payload. Like Ford... On their F-150, they advertise, like, some huge number. 3,000 pounds. Of, <laughs> right. But it's hard. It's a very specific configuration. Two-wheel right? drive, short bed, yeah. no With options. special suspension, right? And realistically, an F-150 Super Crew 5.5-foot bed is going to have, like, 1,400. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's no short bed, two-wheel drive version of the Rivian. But I think that's what's going on here where certain options could play into that. But what do you think of that payload number? Uh, uh, let's just round it to, like, 1,500. Is that a lot of payload? It is, in my mind. I, I think it's really usable. That means you can bring about four people. Let's say you can carry stuff in the bed, maybe towing a trailer. Uh, they rate it at 11,000 pounds of towing. Wow. So technically, if you're towing 11,000, let's say maximum load, you're probably pushing on the truck with about 10% uh, of that, which is 1,100. So you don't have much left. But it's typical for a full-size truck. Um, so I, I'm pretty happy with the specs they had. Uh, we haven't towed yet uh, as of this taping, as of this recording. Yeah, that's tomorrow's so job. So that's, that's tomorrow. So that's coming up very soon on TFL Truck. 
Um, and of course, you're probably wondering about range, right? Range, range, range. How is it going to do? So officially, if I go to the review website here. Um, well, EPA has a rating. 314 miles. Yes. And do you know what I realized? What did you actually? realize? So the gross vehicle weight rating on the Rivian RYT is over 8,500 pounds. Okay, what does that mean? Which means it puts it in the heavy-duty truck category, actually. So it's above, like, the Titan XD in a very similar category, for example. Hmm. You have, like, the Chevy 2500 is in a similar category. Um, so technically, they're not required to state their efficiencies. So let me get this straight, right? So if I go out and buy like a Ford F-250 yes. or Ram 2500 or yeah. any of the HD trucks, I look at the window sticker and there is no fuel economy numbers. Right. There's no government doesn't rate them. Yeah, right. because exactly. the government doesn't rate them. Now, talk to me about how that translates to the electric pickup world. Does the government still have to rate EPA range? How does that work? Well, I think, uh, well, first of all, the manufacturers and the government work together, right? The manufacturer usually submits data and they say, we think the truck is going to do this. And the government agency, in this case, EPA, um, uh, confirms it, right? Or denies it. So, and they work together. So in this case, uh, I believe it looks like Rivian didn't really have to rate it officially, but hmm. they did. And I think that's really great. Um, and that rating is 314 miles of range. Now, officially, right... If you are in the, the, the gas or diesel truck world, right, and you are Ram who's developing the new 3500 6.4, you could probably go to the EPA and be like, I want to rate this truck for MPG. Yeah. They, you I mean, they are, they're welcome to, but they have no incentive well, to do well, so. Well, it costs money. Yeah, it costs right, money, right. and the numbers are going to be so low, <laughs> right? So it's an interesting exemption that, that exists where HD trucks are are not right. rated. Yeah. Um, and the, re the main, main reason why HD trucks are not rated so far is because there's so many variations, right? You can have an HD truck with no bed, right, for example. You can have a work bed on it. You can have a ladder rack. You can have a box truck. You can have a, a million different configurations. So manufacturers, for that reason, don't rate them because it wouldn't be realistic in a way. Uh, because there are so many configurations of heavy duties. But the Rivian only comes in um, a couple of different configs with uh, eventually several batteries, right? Right now, there's basically one battery available. Yeah, so if I'm looking at the uh, fueleconomy.gov, which is the EPA website, right, we see the total range is estimated to be 314 miles, 314, with a 70 um, MPGE combined, 74 city, 66 highway. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing is if you look at the Rivian website, there are some kind of caveats there. So it says delivering an EPA estimated 314 miles of range when paired with the 21-inch wheels. For 20-inch wheels, our estimates show a range reduction of 10 to 15%. Yes, so, and I think they're referring to also some of the more aggressive tires you can get. Yeah, so the 20-inch wheel, right, comes in that um, Pirelli all-terrain tire. Yeah, which is a really kind of a beefy tire, which we used actually off-roading, which we'll talk about next. So that kind of makes sense. A heavier tire, a bigger tire uh, will decrease your range. Uh, also, if b the vehicle becomes heavier, right, if you add more options to it, technically the efficiency will go down because you're, you're heavier, basically. Right. Yeah, but... So we're going to do a lot more range testing. This is only day two we've had the truck. And then, of course, the next episode, we'll update you on that. Now, so figure 314, right, or with our, our wheel tire package, somewhere in like the 280-something? 280-ish, yeah. Yeah, 280 range. I think that's very usable for everyday commuting, everyday driving around. Yeah. People buy electric cars and electric trucks based on the road trips they never take, which is that, you know, 1% of the time you're actually driving across state lines. But for most people, if you have a place to plug this in at home, at your ranch, in your uh, pole barn. You at know, your work th office. This is plenty of range because most folks aren't driving anywhere near even 100 or 200 miles, let alone 300 miles in a single day. So I think that that's a pretty cool idea. One thing that is worth noting, though, and this is kind of an unofficial number, but they were hinting at this when we were talking to them, is the battery capacity estimated to be somewhere around 135 kilowatt hours. Right. Right. So it's made up of, I think they said, nine 15 kilowatt hour uh, modules. Little modules. And they have special cooling packs as well. Now, that is a positively <laughs> enormous 
battery pack. Yeah. I mean, it's huge. Consider like the biggest Tesla pack you can buy right now is 100 kilowatt hours. Yeah, this is above that. This is by enormous. 35%. And I guess I didn't realize what that meant from an electricity standpoint until you go ahead and plug it in at home. Yeah. So this is not a vehicle that's even worth trying to plug in at 110 volts. No, and actually Rivian guys were saying you will not get gain much range, period. If anything, yeah. yeah. Just just running the, the truck stationary and keeping yeah. it, you know. Um, juiced up. So, so level two, you, you really have to have level two. Now, both of our level twos, and I think this is pretty common among households, are 40 amps. Um, yes. So there's like 32 amps, 40, and then some places have 48 amps as well. But 40 is kind of a very typical Standard number. Standard house, yeah. So drove it home, plugged it in at about 56% on our 40 amp circuit, and right around 9 kilowatts, which is the charge rate, it was estimating somewhere around 10 hours till full. So from 56%. From 56%. Yeah. Yeah. So if you bring that puppy all the way down to zero. It's going to take day, a day On 40 more. amps, 240 volts, yeah. you're going to be looking at 20 plus hours, which is a long time. So you would, if you're doing that, especially on a road trip, you would need a fast charger. Of like course. A DC fast charger, which, which we've also done a test. Uh, what is it, 20 to 80 percent? You did? Yeah, so I did 20 to 80 percent. I'm trying to kind of develop a standard. So as we move forward, of course, I do want to become, um, you, you know, more uh, relevant and more authoritative in actual hard EV numbers. So the typical truck car buyer probably won't care, but there's a small number of like really EV enthusiasts who will care. Yeah. Now Rivian's official quote is 140 miles of range in 20 minutes. Yep. So I did a t exactly 20 percent to exactly 80 percent at a 350 kilowatt fast charger. Now, the reason I had to find a 350 is because Rivian claims charging output of over 200. Um, so you wanted to maximize it, right? Yeah, initially in 300 in the future. The tricky thing is we have a lot of Electrify America stations here, EVgo, ChargePoint, that kind of thing, but they're all pretty much 50 to 150. It's really hard to find a 350. So I ended up doing the, uh, the test up in Loveland, Colorado last night, and 20 to 80%, I'll have a video over at TFLEV kind of explaining all this and the testing procedure. It took me right around, let me get the exact number, go to my... Google Sheet here. It took me, what, 41 Four, minutes. 41, okay. And my peak charge rate during that was 151. That's the highest number I recorded. So we aren't quite at that 200, which they're claiming peak, right? And then of course that number tapered down dramatically as we reached 80%. So how did you know uh, it was a 350 kilowatt charger? I mean, does it state somewhere? It's labeled. It's labeled. Yeah, so okay. Electrify America not only labels the actual post, but if you go on the app, you can see exactly okay what the station offers and who is using what charger. So 41 minutes from 20 to 80%. So we put roughly 60% in the battery, which equates to somewhere around 150 miles, right? Give mm -hmm. or take. That's not, not incredible. No, and that's, but it's real world. It's real world. Yeah. And of course, that's going to change depending on outside temperature. It's going to change depending on the, the pack, station. pack yeah. temperature. And, I, you know, they don't tell you a lot of like that pack temperature data. I asked them, is there any preconditioning of the battery you need to do in order to get the fastest charge? The engineer said, nope, just plug it in. So that, those were my personal experiences. And hopefully, uh, going down the road, I'd like to get this truck back and do some like longer road trips with it because we only have it for a few days and get kind of a better sense of what it's like the road trip. Yeah, so 40 minutes, I mean, uh, technically it's kind of a lunch. You can have lunch, you know, uh, in 40 minutes. But if you're on the road trip, it uh, starts to take some time, basically. I did. I got chicken, and I was frantically eating my chicken <laughs> in between writing down data. <laughs> it was there, quite... There you go. So, so, yeah, so if you're wondering, like, okay, they say 11,000 pounds of towing, what does that mean in the real world? Well, we'll give the, you that data. We're going to not only do the eye gauntlet, we'll also do kind of, we'll do a long-range towing test as well on flat ground. So you can relate to that, those, those numbers, and we'll give you all of that information very soon. Um, but then there is the, also the power. <laughs> this truck has a lot of horsepower. How How is the, this is kind of an interesting kind of conversation under how is the platform laid out and where does the power go to? Yeah, so it's a oval drive, four wheel drive, but it's very unique because it has four motors, quad motor setup. And we've talked, actually I spoke with several different engineers at Rivian over the years um, because we followed their development. And they wanted this truck to also be off-road capable. So they wanted suspension travel. 
and they decided not to put these motors inside the hub, right? Because that's not a solution you can have. You can have an electric motor inside the wheel hub, and so it's completely independent, but there's some issues you have to overcome, like weight, for example. So they put their motors as inboard as possible. So imagine the center line of the vehicle, um, and there are two motors in the front and two in the back. And we asked them, are they identical? They said yes. Um, technically, uh, the rear motors are a little bit more, uh, you know, they tuned it so the rear motors get a little bit more power than the fronts, uh, just to naturally kind of balance the vehicle. But the total power is 835 horsepower, if it's fully charged, and 906 uh, pound-feet of torque. And also, uh, so yeah, that's a huge numbers. That's way over any other production pickup currently, other than the Hummer that delivered a few trucks, right? The GMC Hummer EV. Uh, so those are really huge numbers. And that means they can control each motor separately. So in theory, let's say three of the wheels lose traction. Well, there's still the fourth wheel that can spin, right? Yeah. Um, and hopefully get you out. And I can talk about my off-road experience in a second. Yeah, sure. Um, so, but that's a lot of power. You took with drag racing. I did, yeah. So I did do a bunch of racing with my dad on our little track. Now, unfortunately, it's the middle of January, so we couldn't <laughs> use our quarter mile because it's just... It's snowed in. It's not happening yeah. right now, yeah. So I'd like to get the vehicle back like, once again in the spring or in the summer so we can really get some hard data. But we did use our calibrated GPS-based performance timers to uh, validate 0 to 60 times. And the quickest time I got was 3.6, which is pretty phenomenal. For a 7,000-pound <laughs> vehicle? Yes. Yeah, 3.6 yes. seconds from 0 to 60. On that same day in the same surface, we ran a Model Y at 3.9. So even quicker than the Model Y. Now, the Model Y was on the special all-weather tires. Model Y performance. Performance, yeah. yep. The Rivian was on all-terrain tires, so neither were on ideal tires. And I'm sure in a perfect lab environment with a stickier situation, you could get both quicker. But 3.5 seconds makes this one of the quickest vehicles I have ever driven, period, mm -hmm. let alone a truck. Now, to achieve those speeds, you do have to change the drive mode. So there's a few different drive modes. You have to put it in sport. That automatically lowers the suspension. Then you got to put it all the way down in its bottom setting. Yeah. And then you have to set the damp rate to stiff. Floor it, and off you go. Now, I did ask, like, is there any special mode or, like, secret launch control? And they're like, uh, no, you just floor it. Just, just sport and low, low setting yeah. and stiff suspension. Uh, and off you go. Uh -huh. yeah. And it was impressive. It beat the TRX easily. I mean, Handily. the TRX... So we've owned the TRX for 13 months. Uh, it's going on uh, and more than a year. And we've drag raced the TRX, uh, I don't know, dozens of times. And TRX has never lost Yeah, against until the Rivian. Rap Raptors and twin turbo, whatever. Supercharged Supercharged things, V8s uh, and all of it. Different modified vehicles, yeah. Mustangs. The interesting thing, so our track is, is pretty short. It's probably by the time you hit the runway or the, the finish, somewhere around like an eighth of a mile. Yes. But the interesting thing is like even at the end of the track, the TRX wasn't catching up. And typically when you see like Tesla cars race, hypercars or whatever, Porsche 911 turbos, what ends up happening is the Tesla is quicker up to a point and then the gas car takes over. Mm -hmm. But when you're thinking about the truck world, I mean, the TRX has a speed limited top speed of like 118. Right. And the Rivian has a speed limited top speed of 115. So maybe if the drag strip was like 40 miles long, you could slowly creep up with a TRX. But over a quarter mile, I think even over a half, I just don't see a point where the TRX would go scooting by. Because even at 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, the Rivian feels insanely quick. Yeah, and I think it has to do with your initial launch, right? If you can get going fast, you're kind of winning the race almost immediately, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the TRX is also all-wheel drive, right? It's got all the traction, and it's not as heavy. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, the TRX... Like 6,300 yeah, something? Yeah, ours is about 6,300 <laughs> like pounds. 700 this pounds one, less. Yeah, this is way, you know, it's a little bit above 7,000, this one. So, so you're winning that race initially... And then you're just kind of pulling away a little bit. Yeah. So, so I think I think I would agree with you. If if it was a quarter mile, I think the TRX would be close, but I don't think it would win. 
Now, when you're looking at the different drivetrain modes, so there's a kind of like an all-purpose mode, which is all-wheel drive. There's a sport mode. There's a bunch of different off-road settings. And then there's also one called conserve, which is interesting. This is the uh, range mode. And what that does is it disconnects the rear motors altogether. It so becomes a front-wheel drive truck. Yeah, front-wheel drive truck, yeah. which is super funky. And it'll just kind of pull itself along. But it makes sense because when you're cruising down the highway on a road trip at 65, 70 miles an hour, you don't need all four wheels. You don't wheels. need power. You don't need 800 horsepower. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. You put it in conserve mode and floor it, though, I mean, it's dr dramatically slower. You can it, tell. It's not yeah. like – the difference between all-purpose and sport, like you can tell sport mode is punchier, but it's still very quick in all-purpose. But when you select conserve mode, it's definitely a little bit of a turtle effect. Yeah, but still, I mean – I mean, it, it's not dangerously slow. It'll You still have 350 horsepower. Still out-accelerate like a Nissan Leaf, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, so it's it's just a little bit slower. But it does change your range estimation. So I, And I've noticed this even driving it um, today um, to the off-road place and back from the off-road uh, location that we're using at Ironclads. And the conserve mode uh, actually adds quite a bit of range, at, at least on the trip meter. Um, I noticed like between 2000 to, to 208 miles of range to about 222. So mm -hmm. it's significantly conserving energy um, using that conserve mode, which is, we'll have to test more, right? Yep. And see how that works. And the range computer is based on your driving habits. So if you're a major Your recent foot, driving habits. Yeah, if yeah. you've been doing launch after launch after launch uphill, it's going to be reading lower than somebody who's right. just been cruising around steady state. Exactly. So it'll kind of adjust makes sense. based on the driving. Which kind of makes sense. And a lot of other regular trucks do that too. One thing I do like, which they've incorporated, and I've been playing around with this a lot with other OEMs, so I was just on like the Hyundai Ionic 5 program, an all-electric Hyundai crossover, and I was in San Diego. I wanted to navigate to Colorado just to see what the trip planner would say, and it was like, it just gave up. It was like, there's a few stops here you could charge for several <laughs> hours, whatever. But when you do that on the Rivian, it's networked with the different um, providers, and not every provider, but a lot of them. Right. And we'll actually tell you, like, okay, you drive 150 miles, you stop here for 19 minutes. You go another 100 miles, you stop here for 12 minutes. So it knows exactly where to stop and for how long so that you're not stuck sitting for hours on end. But it's assuming you're leaving, like, with full charge well, it or is the current charge. The current charge, yeah. And, and then it's assuming uh, at your location you'll be near zero. Yeah. Kind of. And I think there, there might be ways you can adjust that. I need to kind of play around with it a little bit so you can maybe mess with the parameters. But it's good that they've thought of that and they're incorporating – um, like some others don't. Yeah. Like for example, I was recently in the VW ID4, and I, we did a towing uh, test with that as well, uh, with a trailer, a much smaller trailer. But um, the VW ID4 was not providing that information to me. I had to find my own chargers and figure out myself, right? Where do I need to stop and how long do I need to stop for? Rivian calculates that. So when we look at also the fast charging capability, Rivian is, according to the website, building out the Adventure Network, right? Which is a nationwide network of DC fast chargers capable of adding 148 miles of range in 20 minutes to the R1T and R1S. We intend to build 3,500 plus DC fast chargers at approximately 600 sites by the end of 2023. So they're working hard to kind of expand their network and to build their own basically supercharger system. And they're saying that currently these are going to be exclusively for Rivian owners. And they're also working to build um, waypoints, which are level two, kind of like destination chargers. 10,000 of those are planned by the end of 2023. And those might be at campsites. They might be kind of at like cool trailheads, that kind well, of thing. Well, they said they had one in Moab, right? Yeah. Moab, Utah. And uh, 11 and a half kilowatt capable. So more than the nine that's at my house for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So, so yeah, I, I mean, it sounds like they're kind of approaching it in a similar way Tesla did, but they're placing the placing of some of the adventure network chargers are a little bit more off the beaten path, right? So the Tesla superchargers are usually in the big, you know, interstate areas and major highways. And it sounds like Rivian wants to put them a little bit more closer to maybe national parks hmm. or, you know, stuff, stuff like that throughout the country. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're definitely going for more of the off-roady adventures crowd. Yeah. So what did you think of your off-road snow testing today? Yeah. So I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. I knew the Rivian would be good. I was expecting it to be good because of, you know, this precise four-wheel drive system, right? But uh, other than that, I, was, uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. So, very unique experience. First of all, we took it to the Ironclads Trail, which is in the Rocky Mountains here near Boulder, Colorado. 
And we left the office with about 100% charge. It was fully charged. Um, actually, yeah, uh, basically leaving Boulder at the 100. And then uh, we went up the mountain, uh, what is it, about 30, 40 miles to the trail. And then Roman and I, so we were comparing the Tundra versus the Rivian because we wanted to have kind of a um, kind of a benchmark truck. The Tundra was going to be our benchmark. Sure. And uh, so it was snowy, icy. So we found a snowbank and tried to go over it, and both got stuck. Okay. So first Roman got stuck in it, in the Tundra, and he had to back down, back off, and then kind of use momentum and get through it. And then I did the same thing. I, I went through slowly, got bugged down. By the way, um, I put it in off-road mode, and there are four different uh, um, off-road modes there. Um, so uh, there is the drift mode, there is a rally mode, there is a rock crawl mode, and kind of all-purpose off-road mode, so to speak. So I decided to go in rock crawl because I wanted the kind of maximum um, traction and also maximum suspension height, which is available in that mode as well. And the maximum height is over uh, like 15 inches, it says on the, on the screen, but it may actually be like a smidge over that, which is a huge number, dude. Like if you look at the TRX, if you look at the Ford Raptor right now, F-150 Raptor, they have between like 11 and 12, maybe 12 and a half inches of clearance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so 15 inches of clearance plus the flat belly because there's nothing hanging down below this truck. There's no differentials. There's no transfer cases. There are no, you know, big, huge, you know, control arms uh, hanging down. So I got bugged down and I applied, you know, full throttle accelerator pedal. I I, I kind of mashed and (laughs) I said, figure it out truck. And there was no noise. There was no noise. So that was weird to me because, you know, usually when you get stuck in a uh, gasoline or diesel powered truck, you can hear the engine spool up and there's a lot of drama and the wheels are spinning and snow is flying. In this case, there was almost no drama. And I looked out the window and I saw my wheels spinning. But, I, you know, I was kind of hung up on this ice. Yeah. So I backed down, used a little bit of momentum and just went over it. So you used 7,000 pounds to your advantage. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's very, very capable, and we can, we can. Well, I don't want to explain the entire video, but um, I didn't really feel the weight of the truck until I started sliding down an icy slope. Oh yeah, then you feel it. Pretty uh, then you feel the weight <laughs> of this truck. Otherwise, you don't feel it. Uh, in the highest setting, at about 15 inches of ground clearance, you can kind of tell it's a little bit stiff. Very stiff. It becomes a little bit uh, pokey. And that's just kind of one of the drawbacks of independent suspension and air suspension, right? Especially with air suspension. When you jack the vehicle all the way up, there's just no down travel. So you end up with kind of this pogo ride. It's not as bad on the Rivian as I've experienced in other vehicles. So like the older Grand Cherokees with air suspension. You were very them. stiff. Yeah, they yeah. were like rocks. This yeah. one is a little bit more supple than that. I will say that 15 inches, the claimed, is insane, right? That's just enormous ground clearance. Yeah. But I don't think that the... The full integration of the air suspension is quite as well done as the Land Rover system on the Defender. So Land Rover kind of was one of the pioneers of air suspension in, in the modern era, right? I mean, yeah, okay. Well, the GM was there too. Citroen had the hydropneumatics <laughs> and stuff in like the 70s or 60s or 50s. And then, uh, yeah, you did have like helper springs from General Motors and there were certain manufacturers. But Land Rover really dove in head first, like the P38 Range Rover and then even the Range Rover Classics to some extent. And then since the 1990s, they've just been developing and developing and developing. Thing. And the newest system with the uh, the new Defender where you have, like, the, the dual circuit idea per bag was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And they're just a little bit more sorted. So, like, in the Rivian, I've noticed sometimes, especially at speeds of 5 to maybe 10, 15 miles an hour off-road, you do get some kind of uncomfortable clunks that end yeah. up coming out of the suspension. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did notice that, Like, too. there's, like, a little bit of looseness, especially as you... Uh, well, because, like you said, there's not much down travel. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and that is kind of a little bit discouraging but from you know a, i've noticed it in some other vehicles too yeah it's not just rivian but i think like yeah. the the benchmark by far is tesla or sorry um uh, land rover, land rover Defender. from an off-road yeah. standpoint with you know, you know uh, recently and this is not quite in the same ballpark as this 
but I was really impressed with the new Grand Wagoneer air suspension. Yeah, that was pretty um, good. With, even when I took it off-road, the new Grand Wagoneer system is the latest air suspension they have. They were explaining to me, too, that they use a system kind of similar to the KDSS system in Toyota, mm-hmm. which is an interesting idea when it comes to articulation. In, in the so it's kind of tied in. Yeah. The four wheels are tied to each other. Kind yeah, of. and I will say, like, the up and down travel on the suspension is insane, all the way down from 9 to 15. And it's pretty quick to go up and down. So certain modes won't let you get to certain levels. But it's pretty responsive when it comes to lifting and lowering. Yeah, and also the we talked about the stiff suspension versus soft. You can tell the difference between them on, on pavement. Yeah. Uh, I noticed that too. Yeah, there's uh, um, two different damping levels. Uh, yeah, but uh, re- taking the Rivian off-road, um, I spent some time in the highest suspension setting, and then I lowered it to 13 and a half. Lowered it to 13 so and a half. insane clearance, right? Yeah, and uh, that's and, much better. And it's much better, much more comfortable. Uh, we were able to go over most obstacles uh, with that. And um, yeah, you can watch the video on TFL Off-Road Channel. Um, it, it, you can see it exactly how it performs and how it compares to the Tundra, the latest uh, TRD Off-Road uh, Toyota Tundra. So, yeah. I did a little bit of off-roading yesterday, too, when I went to the ranch because we had to, well, it was quite a bit. I had to drive up a literal mountain to go get yeah. to these logs. And one of the things that struck me, which is very cool, is unlike any other vehicle in the off-road segment, there's just no low-hanging fruit, right? In a typical vehicle, you'll have differentials to get snagged up yeah. on, transfer cases, exhaust. Shock, shock mounts. Uh, shock mounts, uh, yeah. brake lines, all yeah. of it, right? Drive shafts will all be hanging out underneath there. But the Rivian, you've got a battery. You've got some aggressive shielding. You've got four wheels. Remember, we asked them, the engineers, about the shielding on the battery, and they said it's a sandwiched multi-layer. You know, there's multiple uh, materials, right? Materials, yeah. There, there's steel, there's some carbon fiber, there's some aluminum. So they really made it, they called it, I think you used the word ballistic. That was shielding, that word did come into play. Please do not fire weapons at it. At this particular truck, they yes. didn't want us to. Yeah, Maybe in the future <laughs> we can convince them we can roll it on its side and start going at it. But... <laughs> They were, they were telling yeah. me a little bit about the durability testing they put them through, and like they, they got them high-centered uh, time and time again. They wanted to make sure you could put the full weight of the vehicle on the battery and still have it retain its structural rigidity. Because, of course, the concern is you puncture a battery, you could start a fire, right? You could have a thermal runaway right. event. There's a lot of bad things that go on when you start. And, by the way, so the government safety ratings are not official yet. Okay. I, I don't think it's rated on NHTSA mm-hmm. yet, but they're in the process of doing this, right? Um, and they were mentioning a couple other things. So side protection is important, right? If somebody hits you on the side. Yeah, they said the battery cage was so strong. Uh, it was breaking some of the test equipment, <laughs> right? Yeah, they said that weren't getting any, <laughs> uh, like like the body structure itself. Wasn't bending. The pillars weren't bending because the battery structure was resisting any impacts they were taking. Yeah. And also they talked about the front tow hooks, which this truck does have. Um, also being able to withstand or uh, a lot of pull strength, right? Mm. Uh, way over one time the gross vehicle weight of the machine, uh, of the truck itself, maybe even one and a half times. Um, so, yeah, it's got impressive kind of toughness built into it um, as far as kind of the chassis um, and just how it handles. So one thing I didn't like about it from an off-road standpoint, this, of course, does have the adventure package. So when we had, it had the smallest wheel available. So Which uh, is a 20. 20-inch, 20 21s, and 22s are available. The 20-inch is the smallest wheel you can get. And then it's wrapped in a Pirelli all-terrain tire, a Scorpion, which was cool. And then it's even a, uh, an EV-specific Scorpion. Yes. So it's built to be relatively low rolling resistance. And handle the heavy weight. For an AT. And also heavy torque, right? Yeah. Now, I asked them, I said, look, 20 inches are, they look cool. It's better than a 22. But when I'm off-road, ideally, I want like a 15-inch. Or but, a 17 or an 18. Yeah, in modern day society, you're not going to get a 15. So 17, 18 is kind of where I'm comfortable. And I've had, um, I think it's fair to say, pretty bad experiences with 20-inch wheels. Yes. Off-road. I remember. Involving a Land Rover. Because Defender. what yeah. happens is you have too much wheel and not enough sidewall, and you and end you up... pinch it. Yeah, you get pinched. You get little pinch tears, and then you, you, you know, blow out the tire. And they were like, well, there's nothing much we can do because the front brakes are enormous. Like, it's got these huge six-piston front calipers. Yeah. So they were just limited on, on the wheel size they could do. I'd like to see, actually, like an off-road specific one with, like, an integrated winch in the front, vinyl floors... You know, a little bit more stripped down with maybe a smaller wheel. Bigger sidewall, yeah. Yep, maybe shrink down the brakes, change the towing capacity, whatever you have to do, but like a nice chunky sidewall. I think that'd be really cool. I would agree. 
maybe uh, and of course we'll we'll get to some accessories later. I mean, you can put stuff uh, over the bed on the roof, right? We even didn't even talk about the gear tunnel yet. Uh, but I think most people now are aware that it has a gear tunnel behind the cab. Yeah, what Andre's talking about, we'll just go over really quick. Yeah. Because it's an electric vehicle, it doesn't have an engine in the front, so it's got a giant front trunk. Uh, because it's an electric vehicle, it doesn't have stuff like drive shafts running through it or gas tanks. So in between the cab and the bed is this giant pass-through, which goes from the left to the right side and of the vehicle. And it's lockable. And it's lockable, yeah. yeah. And it's got an electric tonneau cover, which I'm a little suspect on about the longevity, by the way. Um, so let's talk about some of. I feel like we, we've really talked about a lot of the good stuff. Yeah, we what, need to. We need to uh, switch. What gears. are some things you didn't like after driving it around for a day or two? Right. So first, um, I was going at about what 50 miles an hour, 55, you know, towards uh, our off-road trail area, and it, it's quiet, right? Uh, the vehicle was quiet. Then I accelerated to about 60. And I noticed wind noise coming mm. off of the uh, mirrors, it seemed like. It seemed like side mirrors. Did it seem to you like it's more passenger side? I wonder if it's yeah. like a window fitment issue. Because I heard that as well yeah. at highway speeds. And by the way, so the vehicle, you're not hearing engine noise. Mm -hmm. So you're more aware of other noises, right, that are around you. The tires were not very loud at all. Tires are really quiet. Yeah, the tires were quiet. The motors are louder than I expected. Tesla motors are much quieter than these. These you get, it's not a bad thing, but you definitely hear like a little when you accelerate hard. And, but it's a good because, um, I mean, you're getting feedback from it, <laughs> right? You, you know you're stepping you on know it. You're and moving. You, and you're getting some feedback from the machine, which is okay. So, yeah, um, the wind noise. I don't know if that's specific to our truck, but that was a problem. Maybe because this, this is an early one. Yep. Um, so the other thing um, I noticed, the build quality is generally great. But there's a couple of areas uh, which are not so great, like uh, by the front seat, I noticed below it, some of the plastic wasn't fitting quite right. Um, inside the gear tunnel, you know, there's a little area where you store the hose mm -hmm. for the compressor. By the way, onboard compressor. Onboard air. Onboard air. Uh, that, you know, little door is not perfectly fitting. Right, it doesn't make sense. Right. It so needs like another latch. Did you see that? So yeah. like I tried to put the hose back. I spent a long time getting it perfect and like flattening it down. But it's only latched on the one side and the plastic's a little flimsy. Yeah. So it kind of plops up on the edges. So just uh, little uh, things like that. And then there was a big thing. What's that, the big that, thing? That appeared today. Uh, it was, we, we're having kind of an ice storm. So it's been drizzling and freezing. Uh -huh. So in order to clear the windshield, uh, Case and I were in the track too. Uh, we um, had to use the windshield washer, uh, wire, you know, windshield washer uh, nozzles. Yep. And they're not high enough. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, when they, There's three of them across the windshield, and they're pointing a little bit low. Oh. So they're not getting as, as, as high as, as a normal vehicle would be. So I don't know if it was just a point, like, you know, if it was just a aiming, them, aiming yeah. problem. Uh, with them, so they were a little bit low. Eventually, the wipers would kind of pick up some of that spray and move it around because we needed to defrost the windshield as fast as possible. Um, so I noticed that. So uh, we'll, I'll have to, you know, talk to Rivian about this. Yeah, and there's a couple things I picked up on. It has a really bad wireless charger. Mm -hmm. And I think they're aware of it because, like, Brian was kind of giving me some hints and tricks. But the wireless charger on my phone will not work with the case. And the engineer said, and, and mine didn't either. Yeah, he had the same issue. Now it's not like I have some weird off-brand phone. Like it's an Apple iPhone 13 with a little inductive charging case on it too. Mine is not as inductive as yours, but mine didn't work. Uh, but mine was built for it. Yeah. It should work. So doesn't work with the case. And he said, well, you know, mine doesn't either. I have to take it out of the case. So I took it out of the case, and it's a big kind of fat. It's on the center console. Yeah, it's like a big fat square. And the idea is you can have two phones in it, right? But what I found is getting the exact location of the phone in this big empty void to get it to charge, I mean, it takes a few tries. Because it moves around. And then you accelerate and turn, and you got to do it all over again. It just flops all over, and then, it, and then it's game yeah. over. Just not a very well-integrated wireless charger. I'd like to see, like, maybe a little cutout or a little kind of scallop so your phone is nice and secure in there. Yeah. I mean, the thing is so quick anyways. You accidentally hit the throttle too fast, and your phone is already catawampus, and it doesn't work. So wireless charger is very bad. Um, the uh, the little opener for the charge port, it does this really cool little dance. So you push these little three streaks on the fender plastics, and it pops out and then glides open. Looks mm -hmm. very sci-fi. Yeah. When I went to the self-wash, one of those squirty ones, every time like a little bit of water would touch it or a little bit of pressure from the gun, it would open up. Because it's a pressure-sensitive. Yeah, it would go <laughs> open up. 
and it's but like you're like I don't want to spray water into my charger because well, it's right next to the wheel too, yeah. right? So you're trying to clean the wheel and it goes, uh, and I know I'm sure. I'm sure that someone's going to comment, well, it'd be fine to get that thing wet. It's built to get wet. But I don't particularly want to, like, pressure spray my charge Inside port. Inside of your charge port. Yeah. So yes. then I have to – then this is what's frustrating. It's all wet. And then, of course, my finger won't close it. So then I have to go inside, close it manually. And then I'm cleaning by the wheel, and I forget it's there the second time, and it opens up again. So that's a little frustrating. And then there's a couple things which are odd. Like, it doesn't have a trip computer. Right. And I mean, they said that there are certain functionalities which they're, they're working on, they're going to over the or update later. But that seems like a pretty big <laughs> thing to launch a vehicle without a trip computer. So he's like, if you want to tr- keep track of your mileage, go to the screen, you can see your odometer. And I don't know if well, that, why that is, but there's, there's no trip computer. So they have the last 15-minute energy usage, right? Right. So they have a little graph that shows you the last 15 minutes of your driving if you're regening, right, regen braking. But it doesn't tell you the miles you've driven. Exactly. You can't reset it like on the start of a trip and right. then track the whole trip. Right. I mean, uh, a trip computer is like a very, it's a very basic thing, huh? Right. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I would have to say, so the rest of the inf- um, interface to the truck... So just the overall user experience, right, is a little bit unique. It, actually, a lot unique because there's not a lot of knobs or physical buttons. I mean, right? we're talking almost zero. So the only physical buttons really are uh, the window uh, up and down regulators, yep. right? The seats, the front seats have uh, automatic adjustment, electric adjustment uh, knobs. Um, but that's about it. Yep. There's no volume knob. There's, there's no, no volume knob. Tube there's knob. no. There's no uh, climate control knob. There's no defrost hard buttons. No. No. Nope. Yeah. So it's all tied into the screen, and then on the buttons on the steering wheel, there's two of them. There's rolly little rollers, mm-hmm. and also side to side buttons. They can do many many functions, depending on which uh, user interface screen you're in. Now the left one is the volume knob, always I think. For, okay. For the most part, yeah. maybe as if you're in I a special tell. menu, yeah. But the volume knob on the steering wheel is good, and I think you bring up an interesting point under because the infotainment system generally is excellent. I think it's super easy to use. I think it's very intuitive. I like that there are shortcuts for the heated seats for the climate control at the bottom of the screen. Uh, you can go between your phone connectivity, your your radio stations, uh, your navigation, all very easily. There's a couple of things that are just technology for the sake of technology, though, like having to go into a menu to adjust the air vents, right? And Tesla Model 3 does this, too, where and there's no little lever to move the air vents around. You no, have it's to do done it. automatically You have for to you. drag it on the screen. Yeah. It's too much tech. Same thing with the mirror controls, right? You have to go into a sub-menu, engage the mirror controls, and then you use the steering wheel buttons for yes. the mirror controls. I would much prefer a hard button. Exactly. Um, so stuff like that you have to get used to. Maybe after a while you can get used to it and you understand it. By the way, when you're towing, the right roller button and the switch on the steering wheel becomes your trailer brake controller. Oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> yes. So we'll have to test it out tomorrow and see how Is there works. like an emergency override like yeah. a typical one? Yeah. Because No, there's not. It's on the steering wheel. But can you like squeeze something to engage well, the trailer Well, you roll brakes? it. To engage it. Does that adjust the gain or does that turn on the brakes? I think it will. It can actually enable trailer brakes. Yeah. <laughs> Very so weird. They have a unique solution for a lot of these things. So it's not ideal usually. You know, I found myself when kind of bouncing down the rough road, you know, having a little bit of trouble adjusting the fan speed, right? Uh, because it's digitally, you know, you have to adjust it within the menu of the screen. I agree with you. It's pretty simple. I mean, intuitive, but still... I wish it would have a little bit more physical buttons. There's, I don't know if you felt this, Andre, but there is, especially in the instrument cluster, so not the main screen, but the screen in front of the steering wheel, which I like that they have, unlike the Model 3. It's nice to have it there. But there is a tremendous amount of Tesla influence, and if you caught up on some of it. Well, there's a, a, the adaptive cruise control. So the adaptive I cruise mean, control. it draws the vehicles around you, right? Exactly. And so, yeah, in the middle of the screen, there's a little picture of your truck, and then you see all the vehicles around you, you see the lanes, and that is the main priority just like a Tesla, to engage the adaptive cruise control, pull down on the drive selector, just like a Tesla, to turn on the auto steer down the highway or the the steering assistant, double click, just like a Tesla. So lots and lots and lots of Tesla influence in that aspect. It has a version of sentry mode, right, where you lock the vehicle and it'll... It's a little Yeti that watches you. Yeah, so rather than (laughs) having the little red glowing orb, there's a little Yeti, but it will record the video around the vehicle. Yeah, and it'll send you like a notification and stuff like that. They have phone as a key, you know, all that stuff. You have a 
kind of a key card that you're going to use. You can, there's a key fob that looks like a little carabiner and is a little carabiner. Um, so they have a lot of cool features. Uh, the door handles that pop out. Yeah, right? there's certain, I think on the, the swing panels, there's a little bit too much tech there too, like the pop-out door handles. I've never really seen the need or felt the need for them. Maybe it gives you a little bit of aerodynamic um, advantage, but I just prefer handle. Uh, and the big one I really feel that on is the tailgate catch. So there's this little rubber pad integrated into the top of the bed Could uh, you use post. it when it was frozen? Today? It, it, well, I didn't try it when it was. I'll have to try that when okay. we're done with this. But like at the ranch, you push it, and nine out of ten times it'll automatically, you know, engage the tailgate. But every now and then, like it gets a little confused what you're trying to do. Same thing with the tonneau. Same thing with the rubber pads for the gear release tunnel. I would just prefer like a mechanical handle. Um, I, I know I can always get to my stuff that way, regardless of, you know, if something happens. So that's kind of just a personal preference. And both of you and I noticed this. Um, the doors, you kind of have to give them a good slam. You got to slam those doors. Um, and I think it may be because the doors themselves are kind of light. Yeah, but it's very, it's very like, I mean, the vehicle feels so premium. And then like so you, you close the door gently you like you would. slam the door. Yeah, but you really got to commit to closing. And you know what other truck is like this is the F-150. Because oh. the F-150 is all aluminum and the doors are kind of light. And I've noticed even on my truck, my F-150 hybrid, uh, you have to actually give the door quite a push in order to latch it. And I think it has to do with the weight of the door itself. And Brian, the engineer, the development guy, was telling me that all the swing panels on the vehicle, so anything that moves is aluminum. Hood, doors, Makes sense. tailgate, saves weight. Yeah. Which is interesting because the vehicle is... <laughs> well, it's already 7,000 pounds. 7,000 pounds. But yeah, yeah, I guess every ounce still counts. So I would say the overall user experience is good. Um, it could be a little bit better. I'm also a little bit weirded out by th there's no Apple CarPlay or Android Auto. Um, there is Alexa integration. So you could say, hey, Alexa, while you're inside your Rivian and um, um, act actually give it commands about the vehicle sometimes or like navigation commands or to call somebody using your phone, using Bluetooth. Uh, but I think... I mean, they said their answer for Apple CarPlay um, not being there, basically, their answer was, hey, we can do it. Our interface is already good. Yeah. <laughs> right? But I think that may have to do with some corporate stuff as yeah, well. Yeah, there could be some behind-the-scenes stuff is why it doesn't have it. I, I do think that it's a good system. But there are people that swear by Apple CarPlay. Like they love the Waze integration that, that you can do there or the Google Maps or whatever. And yeah, Amazon Alexa is better than I was expecting though. Like if you've got an account hooked up, you can, I, I was playing with it yesterday. Any song I could think of, I would even try to like slur my words a little bit, change the accent and it would pick up on what I wanted to hear yeah. very consistently. And it answers like some commands about the truck, um, uh, you know, turning, a, you know, whatever Spotify station or... Uh, also, I think, you know, you can increase volume, obviously, using your voice or decrease volume or, you know, give other commands to the system. And it, it does understand you pretty well. Yeah. No, I think that they really did a very good job with a cohesive package. If you think back to, like, some of the early Tesla attempts, like the early Model X, uh, S's or the early Roadsters, they were very homemade you know, they felt, they felt very a little garage like. bandy. Yeah, unless you didn't, unless you were really looking at some of like the trim pieces by like the seat you're saying, or yeah. some of some of the panel fitment, a little wonky. It feels like a very high class, well made automobile. Yes, and uh, for example, door gaps, hood gaps, all that is great. Right. I mean, just the tailgate. There's you, there's not like odd odd looking gap somewhere, and and the lights, the headlights work really well. Um, I could tell. Um, there's just visibility is really good. Um, so overall, and it doesn't feel big uh, on the on the road. No, it, it looks big when you park it next to like a, a Ranger or a Gladiator. Yeah, but it doesn't feel that big. It's got an interesting kind of footprint because it's very low, but very kind of wide in the hips. So it kind of flares out on the front and the rear fenders for those extra wide wheels. I, think, yeah. I mean, it's got a good stance going down the road and you've got that full LED light signature in the front that continues across the whole front of the vehicle. In the back, same thing with the tail light. Really looks pretty phenomenal on the road. And then you can lower it down into the lowest setting when you and park it, somewhere and it looks badass. Yeah, it looks slammed down or it looks on its tippy toes when it's all the way up. So it changes the way it appears and the way it looks in a huge way depending on the suspension setting, uh, the height setting. Um, and... Yeah, do you really need the power tunnel cover? I don't know. I don't think so. 
if I was ordering not a launch edition yeah. uh, Rivian, I probably would not get a power tunnel. I, that seems like something's um, going to get stuck in there and jam it up. Uh, so I might get just a manual tunnel if I needed one. Um, and then you could also get a camp kitchen or other accessories maybe for it. You can get uh, it has roof rails or roof attachment points where you can mount like a roof rack, for example. And it has also. Oh, by the way, were you using a lot of the cleats yesterday uh, when you were carrying logs? Yeah, they were pretty good. Is it, is it good? One thing, so the bed floor mounted uh, tie downs are a little high, so they're a little far off the bed floor. And that means that like, if you're tying down like a four by eight sheet of plywood, right, you're gonna have to have a nice thick stack of them. In, in order, order to tie it down. Yeah, whereas um, some vehicles are much lower. So that that's a little bit of a shame. But yeah, the, the bed side cleats are really, really good. And we were able to fit a 4x8 between the wheel wells. So like on a lot of midsize trucks, you have to go over the wheel wells and do like some kind of janky tailgate thing. On this, they just go whoop right in between, which is really well thought out. One thing we noticed at the ranch, though, is just like the Honda Ridgeline or the Hyundai Santa Cruz, the spare tire, full-size spare, so props to Rivian on that, but it's mm -hmm. underneath the bed. Right. So you have the to bed floor. you have to lift up on the bed floor to get to the spare. So if you're carrying logs and you got a flat, you have to unload the logs. Yeah, and they were saying, well, it's a packaging thing with the motors and the drivetrain. You know, you can't have it underneath. But yes. I think that that could potentially be a big oversight, especially like with the 20-inch wheels. You're out on your big camping trip with your friends. You got all the stuff in the back. You hit a rock rock. You get a puncture. You're gonna have to take all of that stuff out of the bed to get to the spare tire right. and the jack to get back there. It could happen. And then a um, couple other things: onboard power, right around 1,500 watts. So total, two yeah. outlets in the bed. It's it's good. It's not great. Right, and you can't currently charge like another vehicle with it. I mean, 1.5 well, kilowatts just, is not enough energy. It's, it's enough to like, if you're tailgating, right, you could run like a fridge, you could a run little a blender. Maybe. Yeah, maybe a little TV. But like, yeah. for example, we tried to run like um, uh, a skill saw off of it. And the skill saw was like, I mean, it was not super happy. And now, now granted, this is not like a contractor truck, but for any of the higher ground right. stuff. Whereas if we had your F-150 with 7,000. We could weld with it. Yeah, well, we did. Yeah, we literally we did. welded yeah. with it. Yeah. You could power your house off of it. Yeah. Now, their argument is like, well, to power your house, you need a transfer switch and you need to have your house wired up correctly. So I understand that argument, but at the same time, you know, the F-150 is much more useful for larging, running a lot of appliances or stuff at one time. So, yeah, so I, I think in the end, as we're wrapping up this um, podcast, I, I think it's a great vehicle, first effort. Uh, the pricing on it almost seems just good because everything, uh, price of everything else has risen so much. Um, it's blindingly fast. It's good in most conditions, uh, off-road also. Um, and yes, there are some you know, things we discussed that we didn't like. But I think overall, it's a really solid first vehicle that you can use every day. Yeah, I'm just amazed. I mean, it's clear to me, being in the industry, like we have friends, right? And, and then you talk to some friends in certain companies, and you're like, oh, where's so-and-so at? And they're like, oh, they're at Rivian. And you go to an entirely different company. Oh, where's so-and-so at? Oh, they're at Rivian. Mm -hmm. Like, it's clear that this company took some of the cream of the crop from some of... A lot of talent. ...the major manufacturers, yes. right? And it We're talking really about design, PR... Engineering. Engineering. Yeah. Uh, everything. All of it. I mean, it really, as a cohesive package, it is one of the most impressive vehicles on the road. It really just feels phenomenal. How is it going to be in the long run? I don't know. We're going to have to wait in the long run. You know, the fact of the matter is there's tens of thousands of people that have their name on the list. And they're not getting their trucks yet. I think yeah. so far, currently, just about everybody that's taken delivery are Rivian employees, right? And they said, well, we didn't want to make the public um, have to go through any of the testing, right? We wanted to make sure that we deliver the first production trucks. The final trucks. glitches or whatever. Yeah, to, to work out the final little glitches. So... I mean, there's just an enormous wait time for some people well into 2023 to get their vehicle. But if you, you know, if you want an EV truck, I know this, patience. this is the first one on the market, but it is going to be darn hard to beat. It really is pretty darn phenomenal. Yeah. 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 I mean, the lightning needs to step up, you know, and be a great truck. Um, just from like a, a sheer like wow factor. 
I, I don't know how you're going to top it. I mean, I know, like, this is a truck show and people care about the 11,000-pound towing and the payload numbers, and that's great. But, like, that, that, like, incredible look like your neighbor gets on your eyes when he sees a gear tunnel or the power-opening front trunk or, um, like, the little sentry mm-hmm. guy, the little Yeti. I mean, it just, like, sparks the excitement among people, which is yeah. going to be really hard to beat. And, you know, uh, and Roman and I and, and even Nathan and I discussed this before. We were concerned that, you know, they unveiled this truck almost three years ago. Right. And we knew what it was going to look like. And now it's finally hitting the market just now. And we were worried that the styling that they unveiled three years ago would get dated. Right. That it would not be as fresh as it was before. Uh, But still driving through town, even through Boulder, which sees many different vehicles, it turns heads still uh, to, you know, old, you know, (laughs) doesn't matter how old the person is. There's some older people that came up to me asking about it. There's some young people that came up to me asking about it. Everybody's curious. They noticed this vehicle. So it still has that new factor, I think, that um, that it will have for a while. I don't think it shows particularly well in pictures, but you see it in person and you're just like, oh, what is yeah, that? Yeah, what is this? It looks like yeah. a UFO. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very cool. So I think the Rivian team should be very proud of what they've accomplished. But as I read in a recent newspaper, now comes a hard part. What, right. What newspaper are you reading? I was some some. It was some editorial about the automotive world, and Actual they were talking paper? about Rivian. No. It may have been a digital newspaper. Okay. If you want to get technical. Okay. But they're right. I mean, now comes the hard part. They got to start building these with consistency, with quality, quality yeah. and that's going to be the real real challenge. But yeah. if they can do that, there's going to be. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of cool stuff here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let us know what you think in the comments below. Uh, come back to TFL Offroad, our brand new TFL EV channel. Yeah, oh yeah, TFL uh, EV. That's yep. right. Uh, TFL Truck uh, will have a lot more stuff, including charging, like you said, uh, our other experiences with this truck, towing, off-roading, and long trips. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.